The following is a hoop bowl presentation. What is going on? It is the Hoop Ball Clippers podcast. We are back for more Clippers talk. It is a Friday as we record this one heading in to the weekend. Today's guest, Clippers TV voice Brian Seaman. He'll join the show and we'll talk about what it was like to broadcast in a trailer because that was obviously quite different from what he's used to being courtside. We'll talk about Doc Rivers leaving because Brian was very close to Doc, and we'll also discuss Tyron Lou and what Brian thinks about Lou, and also what he thinks about Chauncey Billups as an assistant. Because don't forget that Doc, you look at what Brian did in the booth, he was with Chauncey for the majority of the season. So they know each other well. He knows how well Chauncey knows the game, so he'll give some a good, good insight into that. And also we'll discuss this December 22nd date to start the season. When we left you last, last weekend, the rumor was December 25th, and then very shortly thereafter, once we posted the podcast, it basically moved to December 22nd. So we'll talk about that because it's interesting. I understand why the NBA wants to do it. If you look at the schedule and basically the time off, and Justin Wilson of LA Clippers Film outlaid this one, outlined this one pretty well when he talked about how you look at a lot of these teams that have basically been off since March. So you have about eight, nine, ten teams, whatever, that have been off since the coronavirus hit because every team wasn't invited to the bubble. So those teams have been off. Then you look at the teams that didn't make the playoffs that were invited to the bubble. They've been off for a while as well. So really, it's just the Heat and the Lakers that have had a really short time to rest. And you also have to take in consideration the amount of rest that there was between when the coronavirus hit in March, and then when they resumed. And what's interesting is you could say that's a rest, but at the same time, these guys were getting fit and training, but that's exactly what they'd be doing in the offseason for the most part as well. They just couldn't go anywhere and relax like normal summers where you have the banana boat and those guys go away somewhere. So it'll be interesting to see what they decide. Uh, Apparently something came out today that if the players do not agree to that December date and they push it to January that there's a threat of a 50 game season. And of course the players would make less money off that. So it really will be interesting to see how this goes because this is going to be an important negotiation to find out when the season actually starts. Before we get to Brian support for hoop ball is brought to you by manscaped the best in men's below the belt grooming. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. I know you've had that mistake where you've used a scissor down there and you've clipped and it hasn't been pretty. Well, how about the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0? They spent 18 months perfecting the greatest hair trimmer ever created. It's not just for below the belt. It's also for above. It'll give you a nice, clean shave. Their third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade, reduces manscaping accidents thanks to the Manscaped's advanced skin-safe technology. Their battery lasts up to 90 minutes. You can take a longer shave, and also, you don't have to continue to charge it. But if you do decide to charge it, they have that USB convenient charging dock. And if you want to use it, I want you to go ahead and get 20% off and free shipping. How do you do that? The code HOOPBALL20. At manscaped.com. That is the code HOOPBALL20 at manscaped.com. Get 20% off and free shipping. Take that thing in the shower, 
make you groom yourself there, clean. You don't have to worry about things getting dirty all over the place. Go ahead and take advantage with the code HOOPBALL20 at manscaped.com. Get 20% off and free shipping. And of course, you look at our new partner and we give a big hello to our friends over at ExpressVPN. VPN actually is something that's getting very popular and you wonder, what is it? Well, okay, they protect your privacy and security online, but also what it does is they give you the ability to watch shows that are airing, shows and movies, frankly, that are airing in different locations. You get the ExpressVPN, change the location to whether you want to do UK, somewhere else, you refresh, reflect the, refresh the app, pardon me, Netflix, for example, and that's it. What they do is it hides your IP address and lets you control where you want sites to think you're located. You're tired of MLB, for example, not being able to watch out-of-market games that or in-market games that actually are out-of-market. Go ahead. Take advantage. It use, you can use it with any streaming service, Hulu, BBC Player, YouTube, you name it. Hundreds of VPNs out there, but the reason I use ExpressVPN is to watch shows. It's ridiculously fast. If you visit my special link right now, expressvpn.com slash hoopball, you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. Support the show, watch what you want, and protect yourself at expressvpn.com slash hoopball. All right, enough of me. Let's go ahead and let's bring in Brian Seaman. All right, happy to have this guy back on the podcast. One of my dear friends in the industry and someone that is just a hell of a guy. And you've heard him before here on the Hoopball Clippers podcast. Brian Seaman, the TV voice of Los Angeles Clippers. Brian, what's up? Brandon, it's always great to talk to you. How are you doing? Doing well, doing well. It's been a, a recovery period, I guess, to say, after that loss um, where we expected to see Clippers-Lakers for so long and we didn't get to see it. Um, I guess I'll get your point of view first on that is um, how disappointed were you with the way things ended? Because it's, it's one thing I've talked to Adam Oslin about this. It's one thing to kind of be inside and you can't really be a fan, but at the same time, I know you really do um, have pride in the team, and you are a fan on the inside. I am. Um, you know, uh, I am. I care for the results, you know, which I think separates this job from maybe a network job. You know, I really genuinely care, and it's, it isn't for anything other than, you know, it's, it's almost different. Like, I care about the front office. I care about the coaching staff and the video guys. I care. I mean, I get fired up, you know, representing the Clippers because when you're winning, it's always fun, but my thoughts go to those people. And then of course the fans, I mean, disappointed, angry. Um, I felt some unease when we needed six games to beat Dallas, a team that I think is very good. I really like them and their future is bright. We saw Luca come out and just be a star, but I'm like, uh, okay. And I kind of overlooked it. Like, listen, man, we're all still trying to get our feet wet. It's a bizarre environment. You know, they catch Denver kind of on their heels in game one. And everyone was like, okay, here we go. We're going to knock them out. I, I knew better than that. I still thought the Clippers would win in five or six. And I could just tell as that series went on, I'm like, something is not right. And obviously there were players that just didn't perform to their standard, to our standard. And, and, I felt during the Denver series, I'm like, man, I'm worried. Like, even if we beat Denver in game seven, I don't know how we are going to fare against the Lakers. And then, of course, you know, the angel, the devil on your shoulders, the angel's going to tell me, well, they're going to be fired up and it's going to be, you know, they're going to they're going to be turning it on at that point. And then the devil was like, listen, man, you've seen two series already. 
they don't look good. And I, I just was really, I was just every emotion, you know, I really was, this was the year, you know, we spoke back in the summer, uh, last summer when all the hype was around the Clippers and it was all well-deserved, you know, basically the way I look at it is, and I'm going around the block to go next door for you. I'm sorry, but um, <laughs> I love that phrase. Every team. Okay. Like the Clippers just couldn't handle the bubble. Like yeah. they just couldn't do it. They, yeah. they mentally did not like it. Every team had baggage literally. And they, it was all equal baggage, whether it was, you know, the Celtics losing Gordon Hayward, whether it was the Lakers not having Rondo and Avery Bradley, I really thought that was going to come back to haunt them. You have the entire wonderful Black Lives movement going on, both in the bubble, outside of the bubble that was distracting. And if you want me to be honest, the Clippers just didn't handle that adversity well. They had the same amount as everybody else did, and they didn't handle it. The Lakers did. And give them credit. I mean, you know, everybody joked about this being a, an asterisk by this contending team. And the answer is, yeah, I agree, as in the most mentally tough team there is. And kudos to the Lakers, the Clippers. They were just too bothered, I think, by being in the bubble and what was going on outside of the bubble. And it affected everything about what they had worked for up until that point. That's just my opinion. Um, but I feel it's valid. Yeah, for sure. And I think if you, you brought up mentally, which is important because you look at what Trez was dealing with, what Lou was dealing with. I mean, these guys had deaths near near them and it was tough to deal with. And you also bring in the physical aspect and very surprising. You look at game set or yeah, game seven and these guys were getting tired for the Clippers and they all seemed to have those home gyms that they were supplied with. And it just wasn't enough in order to get right physically and then also you add that to the mentally part of it. And it really is hard to balance those two things. And I think I agree with you. I don't think the, the Clippers would have beaten the Lakers if they even got past Denver. So it, it was tough to see. Um, I want to take a step back, though. And I want to talk about what it was like for you to broadcast these games. Because I don't think people understand how much more difficult it is to broadcast off a monitor instead of actually being there for many reasons. One, just being able to see the entire floor and just get the vibe of the coaches and also the fans help you as well to get those highs and lows. So what was that like for you, both the prepping part of it, knowing that it was different having to do it off a monitor and also the broadcasting part of it? It was the most difficult thing we'll do. Um, and, and I want to be clear, it isn't like we perform brain surgery or are trying to solve world problems, but for the, for the craft that I take a great deal of pride in, um, it was the most challenging thing we'll do. And I'm, I'm going to guess we're going to do that again, whenever the season starts, you know, at least for road games. Um, the challenge of it is, that, and the, the way I would equate it was, it felt like you were looking through a knot hole in a fence you know, 200 yards away. And, and what I mean by that is you can't see everything. So there were many plays when there would be a basket and a foul, but I don't know if the basket counts because I can't see the official. You know, the scoreboard that we used wasn't necessarily controlled by Orlando. It was done manually, and sometimes it wasn't up to speed, and we had to worry about Internet connection because that's how I could see the score. I literally watched it off of basically an iPad. That was the size of my monitor, and I saw the same feeds that everybody else saw. We had no extra camera angles. We had nothing. 
So that's part one of the problems. But And I'll be honest, I think that was the smallest of the problems. My biggest issue and the toughest thing to deal with was, like, to say limited access to players and coaches. I mean, that doesn't even – I mean, we just had almost none. And, you know, they did do their Zoom stuff every day, and they were gracious about that. And, you know, but you can't – it's hard to ask follow-up questions. And for me – some of the questions that I ask are kind of behind the curtain questions that help talk about what's going on the floor. So I, I never had any one-on-one time and I'm a guy that goes to shoot around. That's something that I enjoy doing for that very reason. I go talk to players and I find out what they're going through. What's, you know, this about or an off the court, you know, fun kind of story. Um, and we had none of that. And so we were lucky that we were deep into the season where we all knew the team pretty well. And I could either, tell stories I hadn't told before or kind of repeat stories that may be kind of a refresher. So that was the challenge. And um, I will say I watched every game. I thought they were real. I thought we did a really good job. And that, by the way, my job, what we had to deal with was nothing compared to what the truck has to deal with the director, the producer, the graphics and all of that stuff. It will be the biggest challenge. I think that we've all done professionally and I'll be very blunt. Like I'm really proud of the games that we did, the quality. Many people thought we were in Orlando, which I took as a compliment. Um, at the same time, I wanted them to know, like, listen, man, it was people from like Fox and from the Clippers. And I'm like, listen, I don't want this to be a thing like in that we sound so good. We don't need to travel. So it was tough. I don't look forward to doing it again in that regard. Uh, and I hope, hope, hope that, Sometime soon we get back to normal. Yeah, I don't blame you one bit. And I was expecting that answer that you gave, but I wasn't sure um, exactly what was going to be the hardest part. And I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think the hardest thing about this now, and this is obviously something I'm not going to have you respond to any of this. It's just, it's now the hardest thing now for a team is they say, okay, well, this worked. Maybe we can go ahead and save money by not traveling broadcasters. And to your point, while it did sound the same, by the way, because you guys did a tremendous job on the broadcast. There's no doubt about it. I think even Christina did a really good job, and that's impossible for someone like Christina to do her job correctly when she is literally sitting outside of Staples Center. Like That is the exact opposite of what no. she's used to doing when she's usually behind the huddle. She's talking to assistant coaches at halftime. I mean, she wasn't able to do any of that. So to take, I think we take for granted the quality at times. And that's the most important thing going forward is I really hope that everyone recognizes that it is more important for you guys to be there because while you guys are pros and you made it sound good, the quality I think improves just tenfold and maybe even a hundredfold by being there in person. So we'll see, obviously you mentioned the road broadcast and what that's going to be like. And perhaps that is something that happens this year is for road games. You don't travel um, home games. You do. I mean, even for, uh, I mean, I'll mention my UC Irvine when I, do, I broadcast their women's basketball. And it's very possible right now that I'm not part of the traveling party. And I may not even be able to go into the arena. Hopefully I'm able to for home games. Um, but it's possible that I'm doing the, the games remotely and even for home games. So it's a crazy time. And for people that don't understand the broadcasting side of it and what Brian pulled off is nothing short of extraordinary. And I'm sure your prep had to be a little different as well, right, Brian? Well, it was limited. I mean, yeah. you know, one of the things that was really noticeable with the preparation was like, let's say everything is normal and we're playing the Dallas Mavericks in a, in a playoff series. There are 
15 different reporters writing about the same game, but they're all coming up with different angles and a different player and different backstories with the bubble. There was only one or two reporters that were like doing other things that weren't like game recaps, which are fine, but like deep dive stuff. And there was only like two or three guys like from the athletic or from, you know, ESPN, as opposed to having like 10 or 12 different articles to read during a playoff series, you're only reading one or two different people and, and they're almost being, and and they did a great job as well with all the stuff they had to do, but you had one guy covering like seven or eight teams. So you weren't really able to get like deep dives on all of this stuff and people just not being there, you know, as reporters, you don't get as much information coming out. I don't know if that makes sense. So I ended up, having to like, you know, you can go on Google and you can, like, I always do a search for every player that we play by the regular season or playoffs, but I had to go into the search column and and use the, the date. Like I didn't want any story after April. Like I didn't want any story about the bubble. I I was done with bubble stories. I wanted to know about their backstories. So you had to, because every story, I mean, there were hundreds of stories that came out about players and the bubble and what they're eating and what they, and I'm like, I, I get all that, but I wanted some more like background stuff and it was hard. And that's the hardest part. And, you know, let, the, the thing that's going to be difficult is if we do not travel, so you could come out, you could, you could do it because we knew the team, right? We knew the players, let's say next year. And it's likely or possible. I should say that there's a lot of new players on that Clipper team. Yeah. I'm not going to have access to them. What, what's the difference between me and, you know, the, the, the season ticket holder, I don't have any access to these players to get their deep dive stories, to tell the, you know, the funny little one-liners that we see in shoot-arounds and on elevators and stuff. There is so much information that comes from that. Um, it's, it's, it's insane. Like a, a three-minute elevator ride can give you, I mean, just gallons of stories. I mean, it's awesome, and it's fun that way. I suspect we get back on the road, and everyone does see the, you know, the pencil pushers are saying, oh, we saved so much money. At the end of the day, the quality will ultimately suffer eventually, whether that was for some people maybe in the bubble this past August or going forward. You're just not going to have the access. You're just not going to have the the ability to tell a story the way it should be done. And I think – there are enough people that appreciate the craft that will understand that. And I, I'm optimistic that we get back out on the road. Yeah. And, and it's possible that the broadcast itself falls behind. I mean, you already are at disadvantage going up against a ESPN, for example. And when the ESPN broadcasters are able to travel and you're not, it puts you a leg behind and, and that's unfortunate. And you bring up another good point with, in terms of just little conversations here and there, one to two minutes, it really does mean a lot. And I, when I talk to Andrew Greif, I talk to Miriam Swanson, these reporters only really get one question in these Zoom calls. And they're used to having like 10 minutes at a locker, for example, discussing various things. And, and you don't have that. So it really does hamper your ability to get to know the players even more. Because I think that was one of the best parts of being able to do your job is to tell the stories. Because I know you really do enjoy that. So I'll be curious to see what happens. Do you think December 22nd is realistic? Because I talked about it in the intro quickly. And I thought initially that it made no sense at all because if you have the draft on November 18th, free agency a week or two later, that gives you basically two weeks, two to three weeks to get these guys all ready to go. And there's going to be scrimmages. There has to be to get these guys game ready and in game shape. 
there are some teams that have not played since March because obviously some teams were not invited to Orlando. There are teams that did not make the playoffs, so they've been off for a while. They also, of course, had that time off between March and when they resumed in Orlando to rest their legs. Not a normal vacation, for example, but they had time off. So what do you think about the December 22nd start date and how much it does make realistic sense? I don't know how much sense it makes. I think it's important, though. I will say I'm pro-December 22nd, and I have nothing but respect for the players and how they need to get ready. I think when the NBA went into the bubble and they were talking about next year, the priority was we need to have fans. We want fans in the building, and we're going to try to figure out a way to make that happen. That's priority number one. Obviously, the coronavirus, at least in our country, isn't going anywhere anytime soon. So I think the owners and the NBA recognize that. And so, okay, what's priority number two? And I think this is a bigger priority because I think ultimately you can get fans back this year, but they need to get the schedule back on track. And I think they learned by ratings. I think they saw that maybe the interest level, despite a pretty awesome finals, wasn't where it could have been, should have been, you know, LeBron James in the finals, that should have been, you know, at 35 years with, you know, the gold standard of, of sports or one of them in the Lakers, that should have been off the charts viewership. It was not. And I think they recognize that and they need to get back on an October start date. Like we should be playing a year from now. And I think that's the priority for them going forward. Now they can push it back to January if they want to, but the, 20, the December date has 72 games. I can't imagine how many games you're going to lose between, you know, December and, and a Martin Luther King Day, you know, game, which, I mean, could they do a 50-game season? Is yeah. that what they want to do? Revenue is going to be shredded for those guys. I get it. So the way I look at it is, yeah, I hear you. And the schedule is bizarre, right? But so we have 30 teams, eight of them, did not go to the bubble. So yeah. they haven't played since March, as you pointed out. Um, what was it? Six of them haven't played since what? Uh, mid August. Yeah. So you've got 14 teams out of 30 that haven't done anything since, you know, mid August. Then you've got, you know, four other teams that were out in mid September. I mean, so there's been rest and recovery for most of the league. Now the Lakers and the heat, are probably not happy with a potential start date there. But I think the league really needs to focus in on starting in October. And if that means a 50-game season in January, as somebody that gets paid by the game, that's not fun for me. Hmm. But if it gets us back on track in October, then okay. Um, but I genuinely see the players looking at the salary. They'll see it. They'll see the big picture and think about it. Players have to vote for this. So as I mentioned, 14 teams out of 30 have not like they haven't played since either mid-March or mid-August. Yeah. So you've got almost half the league votes right there. If that's how it works out, those guys are going to want to get back to it. And I see it passing. I'm, I feel like I'm a pollster on one of the news outlets here, <laughs> you know, car carving your way through the electoral college. Here's how it's going to happen. So I genuinely believe that it happens in, on December 22nd. Um, I do trust that the owners have the players' best interests in mind as well as their own. And I think they will find ways around the travel we're hearing about. And I only know what people read. No one is filling me in from the inside that they're going to do maybe series. Like if New York 
if we go to New York, we play Brooklyn and New York, we play meets two times, Yeah, you know, so you're there, the, the travel is worn down, but I'll go back to what I said. It was fans as priority. Number one, that has now been changed. It's gotta be get back to schedule for next year so that a year from now, we're a week or two into the season. I think that's a big deal. Yeah, it's funny what they're trying to prioritize because you're right. Initially, it was, okay, February makes the most sense because let's try and get fans in the arena. Then it's like, okay, wait, we have the Tokyo Olympics, so we need to try and be done before then so that the players can at least have a couple weeks off before they go and play there. And if you go and play through the Olympics, then A, you're screwed ratings-wise, and B, I talked to, um, I think I talked to Adam about this. You never know if someone like, For example, Jokic, it's not going to happen. But let's say, example, Jokic is not in the playoff picture. He goes and leaves the Nuggets and goes to play for his country, and the Denver Nuggets immediately become a walkover for any team that's playing against them. So you you mess up the competitive advantage. So I think to your point, there was a lot of talk about, hey, let's start on Christmas as something going forward. But then I think they realized that ratings – while it may be nice not to go up against the NFL from November to December or October, December, I think now it's more important to be done by June as opposed to going into the summer. So I do tend to agree with you. I think those eight teams of a math is correct. have going to have nine months off. I mean, that is a lot of time off. And if LeBron chooses to take the first two weeks off and then come back, then so be it. I mean, the Lakers will be just fine. It's just as if he had an injury. To start and nobody the season. would fault him for that. Exactly. Nobody would even, I'm good. Look, man, I get it. We, we, we as a league need to protect LeBron. And I, I say that he's so great for our league and he's so great for the community and everything he touches turns to gold, unfortunately, at the Clippers' expense this past year. But we need to protect those players. And, I, and if he wants to take two weeks off, then I wish him well. And I don't say that to be funny. I don't say that to be rude or anything like that. Um, I, I genuinely want the best out of every team. And I, I, you know, but your point is true. Like, you know, you can have a draft, you're going to have free agency. It's all going to be crammed together. They have done this before. And it wasn't too long ago in 2011, they had free agency start on, on December 8th and started the season Christmas night. So it's been done before and it will be done. Hopefully maybe not in the future, but I think in this near future, it will, I think this is going to happen. Maybe this is the last time, hopefully, but, it will happen, and um, I genuinely think they got to get this schedule corrected. Yeah, and you have players moving in the middle of the pandemic, so there's obviously that, trying to find a place to live. So it's, it's all a cluster. All right, let's take a quick break. Let's talk about our friends that make you money. What are you talking about, Brandon? I am talking about my bookie. Oh, boy, my bookie, a place that wants you to make money if you're new to gambling or you are a veteran. Any type of person can go on my bookie and start to win some money. They've got odds on everything going on, whether it's NFL, whether it's college football, whether it's the election. They have special props you can bet on as well. And of course, once basketball is back, baseball, hockey, the Premier League is currently going on. Anything you want to bet on, the Champions League, they have it. With my bookie, it's easy. You bet, you win. And they pay. They accept future bets. They accept current bets. There's never been a better time to start exploring the world of online sports betting. If you're new, follow our friends over at Hoopball Gaming. They do a tremendous job. They release a podcast every single day. And they tell you what the best 
lines are for that day where you can win money, whether it's Ira or Devin or anybody else on that hoopball gaming team. They do a tremendous job. Dwayne is a guy that knows his soccer, I believe. So go ahead and follow those guys. Join today and my bookie will match your deposit 100%. Okay, 100%. All you got to do is enter the promo code hoopball when signing up. That is the code hoopball when signing up. Remember, at my bookie, the terms are simple. You bet, you win, they pay. Um, I want to discuss the coaching change um, because you are someone that has been close to Doc. And I, I want to get your thoughts on him moving on because there were obviously someone needed to be the scapegoat for, uh, for what happened. Um, and Doc, obviously, I, I want to start with how much he meant to the team and how he brought them to this level in the first place. And he got them through the Sterling era and put the Clippers as a contender without Doc Rivers. That would not have happened. Um, your thoughts on Doc Rivers no longer being the coach and what he meant to you. He, he meant the world uh, to the organization. Personally, was so great to me. Um, you know, what you saw on camera, that's kind of how he was off camera. Just a huge personality. Um, always brings, you know, positivity wherever he goes. You know, he's firm. He's competitive as a coach, but just a wonderful human being. Like, I just don't imagine meeting somebody like that. And, you know, when uh, Ralph and I would do our interviews, we did every, every game I interviewed Doc. Um, and we would get done. I bet this happened 15 to 20 times a year. We'd get done with our interview, mostly on the road, and we'd look at each other and we'd just be like, man, they just, we're not going to have this every day. We're not going to have this every, every game we do. We're not going to have a, a guy like Doc to interview. We just need, and we, I'm proud that we never took it for granted because he was so terrific in those interviews. And even before the interviews, he would tell us, you know, hey, this is what's happening. This is what's going on. This is why this is happening. He's just such a great guy. The leadership qualities are off the charts. And so, you know, was it a time for change? It's not for me to say. Um, I am excited for Ty Lue. But I'm curious to see what Doc does in Philadelphia. Because if it doesn't work with Doc, then those two guys can't play together, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. That's my view. He will galvanize that team. And I think he's going to have an even more energy. I think he – I'm really upset for him that he didn't get to plant the flag here with all the work that he did. You know, the Clippers are – you know, you, you've got Jerry West and Lawrence Frank and Michael Winger and Trent Redden and Mark Hughes. You've got this behemoth front office and a great staff even, uh, you know, next to them, beyond those guys. Doc was a visionary for that. And he told Steve, this is how an organization has to be run. Steve did his own research as well. And of course is always the smartest guy in the room, but he listens to people and he listens to doc and it's a big doc is the reason why this is such a massive place to play. It is now a destination and not a place of destitution, which it may have been months before doc got here. And it may have been a year after doc got here with the whole Sterling thing. So I love him. I wish literally nothing but the best for him. Um, but I, I think the Clippers have an absolute stud in Ty Lue, and I know the players will definitely uh, respond well. Why do you say that about Ty he is, Lue? He's a truth. He, he's a truth teller. Um, he is. He's just a fun guy to be around. But he's not like Doc. He doesn't have that kind of outgoing personality. He's sharp as a tack. And he, you know, when there were, there were issues going on during the playoffs and 
against Dallas. And Ty was kind of overseeing things along with Doc. But I think Doc said, hey, I need you to fix a couple of things. Ty took over uh, certain situations, and boom, it was an immediate difference, like an immediate difference. Um, I don't want to go too much into detail and sell out any coaches, but there were immediate differences when Ty was given the reins, and it was effective, and it put the Clippers uh, on a different level. You know, So I'm excited for him. I mean, listen, man, the guy, the guy can handle the pressure. You know what I mean? Like he took over a team that was winning. We were there for David Blatt's last game. He beat the Clippers. And I remember leaving the next morning reading that he got fired. And I'm like, wait a second, did I miss the guy? Did I miss something here? Hmm. Um, and when Ty, when Ty took over, um, you know, the guys got him to the finals every year. He was a coach except for that last year when LeBron had left. So I'm optimistic. And what we read, and I have not seen anything official the, the coaching staff is going to be terrific, it looks like, around him as well. Yeah, I think that this is a move that's not a let's wait till the ship has sunk and then go ahead and let go of a coach and build. It's more of a, hey, we have ace-king. We have a chance to have ace-ace, and let's go ahead and let's try and upgrade our hand to something that's even stronger. So I think they're playing out of a place of strength in this move than a place of weakness. Would you agree? Well, as a former poker player, uh, as I did for a living, Ace King is the most overrated hand and most overplayed hand ever. Uh, just a little side note. But yeah, it was, and some people said this, it was a championship decision. You know, um, when you have a great coach that is established as a great coach, but you feel you need to go in a different direction because you didn't reach your goals and you need, you, you, you let that coach go, that tells you something, you know trading Blake Griffin, you know, after you sign him to a five-year deal, that's a championship caliber move in the sense that is your plan. So I I'm very optimistic, whatever the ceiling is for the Clippers, I'm truly confident that Ty Lue will reach it. You mentioned the staff and you had a chance to work along someone that's been rumored to be on that staff and Chauncey Billups, your thoughts on the way Chauncey preps and how he would do as a assistant coach. I just remember throughout the year, Chauncey pointing out things back in December, you know, back in February, just little things. And he's like, that's going to come back to bite him. And it was things about not having, you know, a constant set, a constant play. He didn't love the offense at times. You know, it got stagnant. It was, you know, dribble into the front court, let Kawhi or PG take over. And he, he, he did not like that. Um, and, and it, to be honest, look what happened in the second half of all the games against Denver. There just wasn't enough, you know, plays in my opinion. Um, and, you know, I think Chauncey really saw a lot of it. The thing that Chauncey will have that's so great. And one thing, and I, so he was, it's funny. I, I won't tell too many tales out of school. He was, he was up for the Pacers job and the Pacers. And I know a couple of people in the front office called and just had, had called me and asked me of just kind of the, what kind of a, a guy Chauncey was. And the one thing I said about him, I said, look, I don't know what it's like in Indiana and I don't know the other coaches you're looking at, but think about this. Every time we would do an open, we sit at half court, right? And we sit there for maybe 10 minutes before we actually are on the air. Every player, every night came over and said hello to Chauncey from the other team, like literally like the Godfather. So the, re the respect that he carries and, having talked to him on and off the air, his views, his mind, 
I'm telling you, he, he's going to carry a lot of clout in that locker room, but he's going to use it because he's, 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 he's a truth teller, but he's a leader. And I'm excited for him. Like, I don't know. I mean, I, I really could see him being a very effective head coach. And I think this is a great opportunity for him um, to kind of learn from his, one of his really good friends in Ty Lue and have some veterans on that potential staff. Again, from what we read, it's all I know. But that's what I see out of Chauncey, man. I'm super fired up. So my point to the Pacers thing was, I don't know who you're talking to, but when you're attracting a free agent, Chauncey Phillips' name is going to mean something. I don't know who else you're talking to, if their name is going to mean something. Um, obviously, they chose to go in a different direction, uh, and it's our gain for sure. Yeah. Potentially. I, should, I don't even know. I don't even know. Yeah, if it does happen. I mean, it does seem like they're building an all-star staff, and it does, based on the rumors of Ty Lu having – Chauncey at his place in Colorado um, during the coronavirus and, and having him there to teach him a lot. It does seem like Lou and Chauncey are pretty close and that he would make a logical addition to the staff. But I was curious to get your, po- your point of view on the, the other side of things and how he prepares and how he's viewed around the industry. And you, you hit the nail on the head. W- one last thing that we need to discuss, and, and that is Amir Coffey. And the <laughs> the ability that you have to think of every single I, I don't even know how you somehow did it, but any type of description that dealt with coffee and what he did on the floor, that was by, by the way, anybody that was watching that was has to be their favorite part of the broadcast. I mean, towards the end of the game, you and Chauncey would just be on one. It was so fun to watch. Did it get to a point where you were writing these down? So you had them or was it all coming straight off the top of your head? Some of them I had pre thought of, uh, but okay. not all of them because I didn't, I mean, you know, I mean, I didn't know he was playing. I never knew he was going to play. Um, but my, my whole goal was just to make Chauncey laugh. That's really what it was. And so the camera wouldn't be on us, but I would always kind of set Chauncey up and he knew right what he, you know, I think there was one where the, my favorite one was, I said that he's at the free throw line and I said, you know, Chauncey um, and Chauncey, then he, then he turns his shoulders. He squares up to me. I'm like, you know, Amir coffee is a, a really sharp dresser. Like people like just go out of their way to talk. Oh, is that right? Oh, is that right? Oh yeah. I, a lot of people go, Hey, Hey, Mr. Coffee, nice drip. And, <laughs> to hear Chauncey laugh and just to kind of let go. And it, that was always my goal. And Christina pink. So what we did was we sat in like a little storage tra- trailer. That's what we were in to do these games. And it was decked out. Nice. Christina would be sitting back there. That was my audience. That was the only two people that I was trying to make laugh on a side note. I always wanted to make sure though, and it was fun to do those things. I really think Amir coffee can play. And I wanted to always make sure that we mentioned, Hey, this, this guy is on the roster in the bubble for a reason. And I think he's got a nice future. So it was fun. Some of them were premeditated, maybe a handful, um, but the other ones had to come off because I never knew he was going to play. I never knew what he was going to do. Yeah, that was fantastic. I think between that and Chauncey, for some reason, thinking that the broadcaster will jinx a player when he's at the free throw line and trying to teach you how not to jinx a player at the line. I think those were the best interactions. And I think you guys did a really nice job of developing some good chemistry um, down the stretch for sure. And I'm not sure if you want to answer this one, but if Chauncey does leave you, do you have a preference of who sits next to you based on who you've worked with? 
I don't have a preference. I know that the other two guys that I worked with, along with Sean C. Corey and Mike, uh, Mike Rotello, Corey McGetty, I, I just loved them. I just, you know, all three guys brought like a different view and I loved it. So I had the best job in the league. Um, I, I don't, you know, and when we talk about a quick turnaround, I mean, there's a quick turnaround for that as well, you know? So if Chauncey does decide to uh, become a coach, that gives us a vacancy, but we only have, you know, really, I mean, less than a month. I would imagine if somebody's going to come from out of market. Right. So uh, I don't have a preference. I just know that I had the best job and, and Corey and, and Mike Fratello were so fun to work with. I never thought I'd be asking you this in October and as we're about to hit November, but who, who's winning the masters this year? Ha, that's a great question. My vote is always going to be the Tiger Woods. I don't think he's going to do it, but that's going to be my hope. Um, I'm curious to see uh, Bryson DeChambeau and what he can do with this now 400-yard carry of his. Um, I'm trying to think, you know, Rory is due. So if I put money down, it's Rory. My heart says Tiger. Um, But one thing I've learned is predicting golf is very challenging. Yes, indeed it is. Brian, always a pleasure having you on the Hoopball Clippers podcast. A big thank you, and obviously uh, we'll be following you once the season starts. Hopefully it starts sooner than later. Always great to talk to you, my friend. Hope you enjoyed that podcast with Brian Seaman. Some good insight into what it was like to broadcast in the bubble, and of course some stuff on Chauncey that I thought was really interesting. And of course, he's a big Doc Rivers fan and and what he meant to what Doc meant to him. So it's good to hear that as well. So uh, a big thank you to you listeners for listening. If you do get a chance, please go to iTunes, give us a five star rating review as well. It does help to leave one of those. Of course, you can follow the podcast at Hoopball Clips and I am at BD Marcus. A big thank you to our friends over at Dash Radio for having our podcast on there, that nothing but net station. Big thanks to them for having the podcast on as well. So next time, we'll have someone new, hopefully, and we will discuss what's next. Will they finalize the start of the 2020-2021 season? We shall see. So a big thank you to you listeners for listening. Until next time, I'm Brandon Marcus, and go Clips! This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.